Hello, and welcome to this episode of Marine Band Offstage. I'm your host, Staff Sergeant Connor Makula. Today's topic is about an exciting project that the Marine Band has been working on for quite some time, the complete marches of John Philip Sousa. To celebrate its release, we had a talk with Colonel Jason Fedig about the project. Colonel Fedig, welcome to Marine Band Offstage. Thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you for having me. We're all very, very excited about this project, of course, the complete marches of John Philip Sousa. But first, I wanted to give a little bit of context to the man himself. Uh, Sousa was, of course, the 17th director of the Marine Band, serving from 1880 to 1892, and he had a massive impact in our history. How is his impact still felt today in our organization? Well, it's difficult to follow John Philip Sousa. You know, when I think about the fact that that those of us who have followed him have had the same job, it's pretty intimidating. Uh, His legacy looms large in this organization for many reasons. Certainly the music, the marches that we're going to talk about are a huge part of what he's given to American musical culture and something we celebrate here in the Marine Band. But it was really also his identity as a band leader. You know, the Marine Band was well known uh, as an institution in Washington, D.C., but it really wasn't until Sousa came on board in the late 1880s that the band became the famous organization that it is today. And it was because of Sousa's musicianship. It was because of his charisma as a band leader. He took the band to new heights, and that started us on a path throughout the entire 20th century and into the 21st century that has resonated nonstop. We are really a product today, today's Marine Band, of the work that Sousa did during his 12 years as director and and the momentum that he created through his, just his incredible talent. The answer is somewhat in the name on this one, but can you tell us about the complete marches of John Philip Sousa, what it is, what it includes, the scope of it? Yeah, this march project was meant to be as complete as we could possibly have. And so the complete marches of John Philip Sousa is very specific. There are some marches that were not completed, some that weren't entirely orchestrated, um, some that weren't discovered. So we wanted to make sure that we had included as many marches as we could that we knew were finished products from the March King into this collection. So the final number is a little bit nebulous. You know, we, we say, we've said for many years, he wrote 136 marches. There aren't quite 136 in this collection, but this collection represents the most complete collection that we could, could muster. The concept of the project was to uh, have a document that included these marches recorded by the same band in the same space by the same recording engineers so that it really felt like a complete documentation of these wonderful pieces that he wrote. Um, We wanted it to be a resource for teachers and for students who were studying these marches and playing them. And we also wanted it to be a resource for people who just love the marches of John Philip Sousa. I mean, he really helped define the American march style, which is why he's the March King. And so these pieces are such an important part of our American musical lexicon and so deeply tied to our organization because we have such a relationship with Sousa that it felt like a project that must be done, and this was the right time to do it. Speaking of the right time to do it, this is the first comprehensive collection of his marches that we've done since the 1970s. Why was it specifically important to do this project now in the 21st century? A couple of reasons, the first of which was recording technology. Uh, The recordings that we have from the 1970s are wonderful in many ways. They're very vibrant and alive, but the 
capabilities we have today to make them sound more present and sound more authentic acoustically to what you would hear when you hear them live um, was something that we wanted to take advantage of. And it had been 40 plus years, so technology had come a long way. The other reason was that those marches that were recorded by the band in the 70s were done over a longer period of time. The recordings sound different from march to march, album to album. And I wanted there to be a resource that sounded all the same acoustically and really had the same similar intent stylistically as well. The other thing that motivated me to want to embark on this project now was that we have long tried to codify the performance practice that we use for Sousa Marches. We've tried to take um, what we know from the scholarship that we and others have done on the Marches of Sousa in his own performance practice, and also the traditions that have come from the Marine Band over the last 100 plus years. We play certain marches a certain way, and it's just become the way that the Marine Band plays them. I wanted to bring those two elements together in a more deliberate way and to to make sure that we were making really judicious and really uh, well-informed decisions about how we perform these marches because we were going to document them for other people to perform them the same way. In the 1970s, those recordings were a little more haphazard in that realm, and I thought this was a great opportunity to just provide more scholarship for what we were presenting to the world. So you had a specific vision in mind for not just this project, but how we recorded these marches specifically. Yes, I... And, you know, and admittedly, some of the decisions that are made are opinions. You know, there's there are some things that are kind of set in stone as far as what we know Sousa himself did in his marches and the decisions that he made that have been documented by his musicians. Interestingly, he never wrote any of this down himself. Sousa was uh, famously very secretive about the way that John Philip Sousa performed a John Philip Sousa march. And part of that, I think, is because he wanted it to be a unique experience when the composer himself was leading a band. This is the way you heard a Sousa march under Sousa's baton, and it wasn't going to be replicated by any other conductor. But later in his career and after his death, many of his musicians who played with him and knew exactly what he wanted documented some of this, Frank Simon being the most famous as solo cornetist, uh, so that we do have actual evidence about what Sousa did in these marches, but only for a handful of them. So we extrapolated some of that work and some of that interpretation into the entire collection, especially for the marches that he really never went back and played often later on in his career. But yes, those decisions were specifically meant to be infused into these performances so that it could be a template to a degree that is authentic, that bands all over the world could use to play and perform them. I like that you use the word authentic. It's always a conversation between musicians, especially when it comes to widely known older music, maybe such as Sousa's, uh, is it authentic or is it intentionally modernized? Does it serve as a way of uh, looking at a classic in a new light, or is it a curated example of how it was traditionally played? Where do you feel that our recordings fall in this conversation? Well, this is a this is a very interesting question. We could do an entire podcast <laughs> just on this. But in a nutshell, I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, you know, we, we deal with this in classical music all the time, where, you know, a Beethoven symphony would have sounded a certain way with the instruments of Beethoven's time and with the size of the orchestra of Beethoven's time. And there have been orchestras and, and musicians who have tried to replicate that best they can. And there have been also modern orchestras that have given no thought to that whatsoever and just played it as a 20th century orchestra for this older music. And then there are 
musicians and orchestras that have done something in the middle. We're not going to try to play this exactly the way that we've been played on the equipment and with the the the, um, the capabilities of those groups back in Beethoven's time, or the way Beethoven would have played his concerti on a pianoforte. But we are going to try to mix those worlds. We're going to use a modern approach, but with a, a respect and an awareness of some of those things that would have been very present in that time. So I think we've taken that approach with the way we perform Sousa's marches today. We don't sound like the Sousa band from the 1920s. We just sound like a different group at today's Marine Band. We don't sound like the Marine Band of the 1880s. I would like to argue we sound a lot better than the Marine Band did in the 1880s, just given the talent of the musicians today, the instruments that we play on. But from an articulation standpoint, from a dynamic standpoint, from a style and swing and infusing expressive ideas into Sousa's notes, I do think we can get close to his intent as the original creator, his intent as a conductor. We don't have many recordings of Sousa conducting his own marches, and the ones we do are not great because of the technology of the day. But you can get a sense of the shape of what he was trying to accomplish. And just in his scores alone, when you look at the music that Sousa wrote on the page, you can see what kind of a musician he was. You can see where his heart was and how he wanted something to be phrased. And so we've worked really hard in today's Marine Band to find that magic, to find that expression within a form that often is done way too left, right, left, right, and just kind of banging through a march. There is infinite opportunity for expression and singing in a Sousa march. And I truly believe in my heart that's the way Sousa heard it and wrote it. And so in that way, I do think it is an authentic approach to uh, respecting what the intent of, of the composer was. So that's the role that we in the Marine Band have. Do you have any thoughts about a director that might take a Sousa march and almost intentionally depart from that and have a new modern take on the march that is maybe in a completely different time zone than what Sousa had intended? That's a very interesting question. I'm a pretty open-minded musician. I think music is, it is an art that happens in real time, uh, art over time, you know, and the, the art is not what's on the page as much as it is how we create it as musicians. So I do like the idea of, of musicians and composers collaborating and we hearing a musician's heart, a performer's heart, just as much as we hear the composer's heart. But I think that that can only go so far because the composer is an equal partner in that equation, in that partnership. And so I am very, I try to be very faithful to the score and I try to be very faithful to what I believe is the authentic intent of the composer, even if there's some subjectivity in that. So to that director who might intentionally take a different take, I think I'd be okay with it if they explicitly stated that that's what they're doing, right? If you say, I know that Sousa probably intended this, but here's what, what, I, what I hear, here's what I want to do with this. I want to create something new using Sousa's music as the jumping off point. That I think I'd be okay with because that seems fresh and exciting as long as it's, it's done deliberately. Um, if that's not the case, I think it's really important to try to get inside the mind of the composer try to empathize with the composer as much as we can through a piece of paper that is the score and just do our level best to try to bring to life what we truly believe the composer intended. So I want to go back to something that you mentioned earlier and that the number of marches was sort of nebulous, 129 versus 136. Some were incomplete, some were 
maybe handwritten and a little difficult to interpret, uh, you and Master Gunnery Sergeant Don Patterson edited and corrected all 129 marches in this collection. What were some of the challenges of editing marches written as long ago as 1873? This was a huge part of this project, and frankly, one that I didn't, I wasn't prepared for how difficult it was going to be. You know, I had this idea that was this the seed of, hey, let's do this project. Let's record all of Sousa's marches. Let's make the music available for people to play with all of our markings, and won't this be fun? And then we dug into it, and I realized just what a monumental task this was going to be to do it right. And it was absolutely a huge team effort. Really, so many members uh, of the Marine Band were involved in bringing this entire project together. Um, and, and I'm so grateful to each of them and their passion. Uh, I, as an instrumentalist in the band, am familiar with the recording aspect, going in a room, having silence before each take, doing the same strain maybe nine or a hundred times. Uh, but what does the process look like from beginning to end to get some of these marches out there? Well, the very first part of the process is, is what you referenced, which is finding the original source material. And uh, I tasked Master Gunnery Sergeant Don Patterson, our, our arranger at the time, copyist, now retired, to spearhead this project uh, as our copyist to make these new additions. And as you said, as we started the project going back, we, we did the project chronologically. So we decided to start in 1873 with Review, Sousa's very first published march, and then go all the way to 1931 to the end of his life. And we wanted to present the marches in order, not only because it made for a very neat resource, but it also could show you the evolution of him as a composer from his very first to his very last composed march. And you could see him grow and change. But those early marches, especially the ones from the first 10 to 15 years, volume one, some of volume two also, a lot of those marches were not played very frequently after they were written. Um, if there were published editions, they were very old and there were tons of mistakes and inconsistencies. And even the ones that were played very often by Sousa or others, there were mistakes in those parts that had been there for a century or more. And so when we started to dig into these parts, we had to go note by note, measure by measure to clean up wrong notes, to make sure articulations were consistent so that we could record them properly. It was a very painstaking process. It was especially difficult when we needed to decide what was a mistake and what was simply a, a kind of a, a, a debatable inconsistency. Or a Sousa quirk, maybe. <laughs> exactly. And there were Sousa quirks because in his early part of his compositions, you would have an accompaniment that would go on a certain key and the melody would not always follow that key for some nard chord tones. So he might not change a chord when the melody would go down and, and be a dissonant note with that chord. And we had to decide, was that on purpose, that he didn't want the chord to change? He was just weaving the melody in and out? Or should we change the chord like he would have done maybe 30 years later and, and change that in the early March? And we had to make each of those decisions independently. And there were thousands of those decisions to be made as we edited these marches. The great news was that in many cases, for the very first time in the history of these pieces, now we have parts that are correct clean, consistent, um, and some of these marches deserve to be played. They're hardly ever played, and now there's a resource where they can be played and brought back to life. That sounds like quite the process just to get the music on our stands, uh, and then we record it, and then what happens to all of our takes after we record? 
Yeah, so step one is to get the music prepared, clean, ready, edited, all the decisions to be made about how we are going to perform these marches style-wise and performance practice-wise. Then we got the music out to the musicians, such as yourself. The musicians practiced it. We got into a recording session. You know, since we had 130 of these marches to record, we had to be very efficient. So in many cases, we would either rehearse as we were recording or we'd do a very brief rehearsal and then jump right into recording the next day. And we recorded anywhere from four to six marches in every single one of those recording sessions. Uh, the engineers were on board to capture all of those takes. We would go through them. Luckily, this is the United States Marine Band, so they play exceptionally well right from take number one. We were able to get a lot of great material in a very short amount of time. And then the band gets dismissed. Then we come back to those takes, and we have to edit them all together to make sure we have the very best material for this permanent document that's going to be out there for hopefully centuries to come. And then we would produce that recording. Then I had to go back with the recording we made and make sure that everything we decided to do in the session, which sometimes we would change on the fly, exactly matched our edition that we were going to release to the public. Because we wanted to be sure that the recorded reference was exactly the same as the paper reference, so that resource could be complete. Going back to the editing and engraving even after the process has been uh, finished. Correct. Yeah, so we would kind of reverse engineer <laughs> the paper after we knew that the recorded document was solid, and that's what we were going to release to everybody. So very large team effort. How long has this project been going on? Well, COVID notwithstanding, mm. it was a seven-year project. So we always knew we were going to try to accomplish this one volume a year for seven years. And it took eight years, eight and a half years, because we did have to stop uh, for COVID for obvious reasons. Um, but we were very grateful to be able to basically stay on schedule uh, because I didn't want to wait too long to be able to present this entire resource to the people who have been waiting for it and, and so many people who have been really eager to, to dig into these marches. So you mentioned it being not just a complete recording of all of John Philip Sousa's marches, but a resource for teachers, for listeners, for history buffs even. What do you think the role of Sousa's marches is almost 150 years later in the 21st century? If you had asked me this 20 years ago, I might have given you a different answer because I didn't know a whole lot about Sousa and his marches other than the famous stuff. Stars and Stripes Forever, Washington Post, to a degree Semper Fidelis. And when I became a member of the Marine Band, I gained instantly a whole new appreciation for Sousa's marches on multiple fronts, certainly on the kind of historical significance to our American musical lexicon, to what it means to, to play in a band, to, to play band repertoire. Marches are such a fundamental part of that, and they have been for a long time, and Sousa's marches in particular really took things to a whole new level. But as I dug further into the actual music, as a conductor, as a player, as a producer of recordings, I started to witness firsthand the genius of Sousa as a musician. If you listen to a Sousa march on its surface, it sounds good, it sounds familiar, it's toe-tapping, it's fun. But when you listen second, third, fourth, fifth time, when you listen to the way the Marine Band plays accents and certain phrasing and certain um, uh, kind of emphasis points and certain ways that we highlight the harmony, certain ways that we play expressively through the melodies, the whole thing starts to take on a new life. And the more you spend with these marches and as you walk through his career of 50 years plus of, of, of writing marches, 
you see these things develop in such a beautiful way. I've gotten to the point now where I conduct all kinds of music, contemporary, you know, classical, popular music. I see as much substance and value and beauty in a Sousa march as I do in any other music that I have the opportunity to conduct and to study. It's different. It's a little miniature symphony. And it's obviously written in a very specific style that is really a product of, of yesteryear. But from a musical and expressive perspective, there is so much substance there. And it's something that has resonated with me and it continues to, to get stronger and stronger with me every year that passes in my career. I couldn't agree more. I definitely, after joining the band, had a much, much greater appreciation for marches, zooming in on it as much as we do under your direction and all of the directors here at the Marine Band. Uh, they might seem easy, marches as a genre, to someone who doesn't play them maybe as much as we do, but there are just as many musical nuances and decisions as any genre. Uh, what advice might you give to someone uh, to help them authentically execute a march, whether it be an individual player or a director such as yourself? I think that historical context matters, and I think this about all music. I think you can't make music in isolation without understanding the history of its composition, understanding why it was written, what time it was written in, who wrote it, what the composer was going through um, artistically or personally at the time. I think all of that really matters, I think for me, the authenticity comes from just diving into the what is happening around the composition when it was created. It doesn't mean that every nuance has to be exactly what the composer intended, and a lot of great composers will allow some space for you to infuse your own interpretation and your own thoughts and expression into that. And I think Sousa is one of those composers. Actually, you know, a lot of the mistakes we found in the parts, inconsistencies of articulations or dynamics, those were in there in the parts that Sousa used as a conductor. And he never went back to change them or clean them up. And I think part of that was him just trusting his musicians to do what they wanted to do and what they needed to do in the context of what he wrote. And it was this built-in collaboration. I really believe that there was probably a good... Um, part of Sousa's musical identity that allowed for that, that um, partnership. And so the authenticity is really just about empathy. It's about a composer understanding what a performer needs to play at their best and a performer understanding what the composer is trying to say and the context for why a piece was written. I think if you're asking those questions and you're listening and you're studying, you're going to get to a point of authenticity that I think is, is, is um, really legitimate. And you've been singing Sousa's praises about his marches, about how he composes, and I think it's very clear you have a very, very deep attachment and appreciation for them. I don't, I don't think it's a stretch, sir, to say you've listened to, performed, and studied more Sousa marches than any person alive, potentially. Do you have any insight into what about his comp compositions crowned him as the March King? Well, first of all, there are a number of outstanding scholars and musicians in our nation and across the world who are equally passionate about Sousa and have done just as much conducting <laughs> as I have. I am very happy that I've had the opportunity to spend a lot of time with Sousa's music, but looking at the work of those people and, and their passion for Sousa's music has actually been truly illuminating and informative in, in how we think about Sousa's music here in the Marine Band as well. It really is a, a partnership in, in continuing to elevate his legacy and, and celebrate his music. There are, are a few things that I think make Sousa's music special. The overarching 
thing, though. I mean, he was a supreme melodist. He just wrote beautiful melodies. He was a songwriter at heart. That's what he wanted to do. That's what he loved to do most. So his marches are just completely made up of songs. Even the ones when, on first glance, they feel more militaristic or they feel uh, less expressive. If you listen to the melody, you can, you can, you can sing it. You can feel how it would be sung. And we take that approach when we perform Sousa's marches of all kinds. And he had a terrific grasp of harmony and kind of rhythmic vitality. That's clearly evident in so many of his pieces. But he also tapped into something that great composers do, which is to write music that is fresh and original, but also somehow make it feel familiar. Um, Sousa was a master at form and writing music that got you feeling like you 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 didn't know exactly what was going to come next, but you were excited to hear it. And whether what came next was something that satisfied what you expected or thwarted your expectation, either way, you were on an adventure. And he got you wanting more, and when you got there, you were delighted. You were either surprised or, or confirmed. And either way, just depending on what his choice was, it felt organic to you. It felt like something that that you could that resonated with you. And I think that's what a march is so beautifully crafted to do is that it's something we are familiar with, but then it can take us in unexpected directions. And Sousa was absolutely the master of that particular sensibility and that particular art form. Playing around with, with expectations and what we all think of as it should come here in a march and, oh, he went this way or, oh, he gave the big satisfying moment. It reminds me a lot of how uh, an older composer maybe in the classical period might play around a sonata form, but marches might be more of an accessible genre to people uh, than, you know, studying sonata form. I think that's right. I mean, Sousa was certainly a, a scholar of, of classical music. He, in fact, as a c conductor, he often programmed contemporary classical music of the time, like the music of Richard Wagner. Mm. He was programming Wagner's excerpts from Wagner's operas with band at a time when they were, they were relatively new in Europe. And in some cases, Audiences here in America were hearing Wagner's music for the first time. That was um, that was pretty radical to do that as a as a nineteenth century bandmaster. Um, and Sousa, so Sousa knew about classical music. He he understood the great composers of the nineteenth century and their mastery of form and their mastery of of their craft. And what I think he did is, to your point, he just took that that structure, and he just shrunk it down to a, a beautiful bite-sized bonbon, you know, something that was complex and delicious, but you could consume it in one moment. And that's why we like to call these, these marches miniature symphonies. There's, there's a whole symphony in a three and a half minutes. And it actually, I think, is difficult to do that. I think it's difficult to shrink something that has so much substance down into three and a half minutes and do so without throwing away the parts of of the bonbon, you know? Mm -hmm. I, I think Sousa's gift was that there was no wasted effort. He, he had exactly what he needed for the drama he was creating in his marches, and he didn't. they never overstay their welcome either. And he did that over and over and over again for 130-plus of these pieces. There are very few um, um, less than uh, excellent marches in Sousa's collection. His, his batting average is exceptionally high. <laughs> I mean, to write as much as he did and for as many different occasions as he did and for as many different people as he did and to have so many of these marches be really, truly masterpieces 
is really hard to wrap my brain around, but, but he was incredibly successful in that way. You had mentioned before the sort of historical inspirations for some of Sousa's marches, uh, along with the collection of recordings, obviously, there uh, is a lot of historical context given to each individual march. Do you have any that maybe stick out in particular to you as either being important to acknowledge the history of that march or as one that just you enjoy the history behind that particular march? Well, the collection of marches that I think is most fascinating to me are the ones that came around World War I. Uh, by this time in Sousa's career, he had completely mastered his, his, um, uh, his grasp of what a march should be. He wrote a lot of different types of marches as far as the, the form and the style, but he did have a formula by this time that he would go back to that really was time-tested. And Sousa was a true patriot. I mean, his marches fall into several categories from an inspiration perspective. There are the kind of operetta dance-like marches that came mostly from earlier in his career. There are the patriotic-inspired marches. And then there are the military-inspired marches. These are the three of the main categories of, of, of marches that he wrote. And when World War I broke out, Sousa was in his 60s at this point, but he definitely felt that conflict deeply, and he wanted to, to start serving again. Uh, he actually originally wanted to return to the Marine Corps after many, many years of, of leaving the band in 1892 to embark on his civilian career. There wasn't a place for him in the Marine Corps music program at that point, and so the Navy took him on. And he joined the Navy, and he trained bands at Great Lakes outside of Chicago for several years during the war, and he wrote marches to uh, support the war effort and to illuminate the glory and the courage and the tenacity of the United States military. And so a lot of these marches written in from like 1917 to 1920 and there uh, are just amazing, amazing marches and clearly strong marches, marches that have this vigor and this pride, um, which combines the patriotic element with his military background and his own service. And I think those are some of the best marches he ever wrote. I think there's an inspiration, clearly, that is just permeating every one of those pieces. And they're all a little bit different, but they're all special in their own way. And they all kind of grab you by the collar and say, listen to this. And that historical context matters. When we play those marches from that period, I think about America engaged in that great First World War. I think about the sacrifices that were collectively made by the country at that time and how the country came together to support this effort. I think about, of course, all the young men and women who were put in that position. And I think about Sousa's own service as a lieutenant commander in the Navy and how proud he was to go back and serve his country again. And that is, uh, that is made evident by the fact that for the rest of his life, after he left the Navy, he continued to refer to himself by his rank and he continued to wear his Navy uniform because that was really one of the central aspects to his identity. And that absolutely comes through in his marches. So we've come to the moment we've all been waiting for. The big question, Colonel Fedig, what are some of your favorite Sousa marches? <laughs> <laughs> well, I gave you a little hint in that last answer. Mm -hmm. Um, some of my favorite military-themed Sousa marches, which are among my favorites, are Solid Men to the Front, 1918. Uh, the Gallant Seventh is just such a fantastic piece of music. Uh, Who's Who in Navy Blue is another wonderful march, a little bit lighter than some of his other military marches, but still has that 
pomp and that vigor uh, written for uh, the Naval Academy. From later in his life, uh, I often program George Washington Bicentennial, which is one of the last marches he wrote, which from an orchestration standpoint and a content standpoint, he's starting to do some things that are unique. He's starting to branch out in some new territory in marches like George Washington Bicentennial. I only wish he had lived a little bit longer for the next 10 years to explore that, but you saw seeds of that in a march like that. One of my very favorite marches is one of his, you know, relatively few marches that starts in a minor key, which is Nobles of the Mystic Shrine, written for a different occasion and a different uh, group of people. But that's a march also that just keeps your attention from the very beginning to the very end with its Turkish crescent uh, jingling Johnny ringing out in the last strain, which is such a, a unique sound for a march. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, and of the earlier marches, Washington Post continues to be one of my very favorites. Semper Fidelis, we play it all the time, and I never get tired of that march, the official march of the Marine Corps, uh, are, are a couple of marches from the 1880s that are still absolute masterpieces to this day. I was surprised at how many marches of Sousa's I hadn't even heard of. 129, I believe, in this collection. Uh, do you have any undiscovered gems that come to your mind? We know about Hands Across, Stars and Stripes, all of the classics, but are there any that you think aren't played enough? Some of the university marches that he wrote are absolutely fantastic, and they are played by the universities he wrote them for, but a lot of the general public is not quite as aware of some of these marches. So the University of Illinois march is marvelous, and that happens to be the university where a lot of his artifacts uh, from his estate actually went because he had such tremendous respect for the University of Illinois program. That march is a masterpiece. Marquette University March is another one that's fantastic. Early on in his career, uh, for the first decade, uh, where these marches are very seldom played, there's a march called Right Left, which I still get a kick of, out of to this day. It's a relatively simple march, 6-8 march. But it's got a real swing to it right from the beginning. You're starting to see the seeds of the melodist that Sousa would become. And then right in the middle of the march, the band has to yell right, left, which I can't imagine what the Marine Band of the 1880s thought about that. But uh, I think our musicians in today's Marine Band get a kick out of screaming at the top of their lungs in the middle of a march. There's another march called the White Rose, which is not played quite as often as some of the other ones, which is a fantastic march. And then later on in his life, in the last couple of years, there's a march called The Aviators, which is fantastic as well. Uh, there, are, there are literally dozens and dozens of hidden gems in this collection, uh, marches that absolutely deserve to be played more. And one of the things I hope that this collection uh, that we've made will do in the complete marches of John Philip Sousa is bring people to a bunch of titles they've never heard of and lead to hundreds of performances across the world of some of these pieces. Of course, and hopefully everyone listens to these marches and finds some of their own hidden gems. Uh, Colonel, how can people listen to this project? How can they go beginning to end and listen to every march Sousa's ever written? I'd be very impressed for those who will carve out the time to listen to every march in a row. That would be like watching the Lord of the Rings cycle or the Star Wars cycle in, in one fell swoop or the, or the Ring cycle by Wagner. Uh, but we have tried to make them as accessible as possible. There are multiple ways to access this collection. For the complete comprehensive collection, the easiest way is to go to our website. And there's an entire page on the complete marches of John Philip Sousa. You will find the scrolling scores. You will find the ability to download the 
uh, audio files to your own personal collection, so you have them permanently, and you'll find all of the PDFs of the score, the full score, and the full set of parts that teachers and bands can download and just access and print out immediately. If you want a quick fix, you can just simply go right to YouTube, type in The Complete Marches of John Philip Sousa, and all of those titles will come up, and uh, that's the easiest way to listen to them. Well, Colonel Fedig, thank you so much for sitting down with us and sharing your thoughts, expertise, and insight into some of Sousa's greatest marches and the entire collection that we've recorded, The Complete Marches of John Philip Sousa. Thanks so much, Connor. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. The Complete Marches of John Philip Sousa and all of the resources that come along with them are available on the Marine Band's website, www.marineband.marines.mil. Recordings of the marches are available on our YouTube channel, at US Marine Band. This episode was written by Staff Sergeant Connor Mikula, produced by Gunnery Sergeant Patrick Morgan, and edited by Staff Sergeant Joe Cradler. Recorded in John Philip Sousa Band Hall at Marine Barracks, Washington, D.C.